This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm Walter Rigobon, and with me as usual this morning, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good morning, Wally. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's a pretty interesting week in uh, in Toronto hockey circles this week. A couple of uh, big stories, uh, starting off the week with the great performance by the Canadian junior team, uh, undefeated and took back the gold medal for the first time in a long time. And of course... Tuesday morning, some shocking news out of uh, out of the uh, Air Canada Centre that you predicted on our show last Sunday. Naz, I'll give you credit for that. The firing of Randy Carlyle. We've got a great show this morning. I just wanted to introduce to our listeners in studio this morning uh, one of the more popular Leafs of the last uh, last few years, uh, Lou Franceschetti. We're uh, we're pleased to have you with us this morning in the house, Lou. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Wally, for getting me out of bed at this early on a Sunday morning. <laughs> anytime, my friend. Anytime we'll get you out of bed. And we'll be talking shortly uh, after our first break to legendary broadcaster, Hall of Famer, winner of the Foster Hewitt Award, Harry Neal. Um, and we're certainly looking forward to that. And we'll be taking your calls at the uh, bottom end of the hour. I'm sure there's a lot of... Uh, People who want to talk about the Leafs this morning and uh, get maybe get something off their uh, proverbial chest. Anyways, a quick recap of the Canadian juniors' uh, incredible performance, wire to wire. I don't think they were behind at any point in any game during the whole tournament, and uh, this was this was advertised as the Connor McDavid uh, Jack Eichel tournament, and certainly. Uh, I, I watched both intently during the tournament, and I think you're looking at two superstars in the NHL. Yeah, in, Connor McDavid uh, can really skate. He's uh, quite the hockey player. He's going to be a deadly uh, NHL player. He's got size. He's got speed. He can shoot. Uh, very very intelligent. Some of the passes he was laying out were tremendous that night. And uh, top Canadian player in the tournament, as far as I was concerned, was Ty's, uh, Ty's young man, uh, Max. Had a fantastic tournament. It was a controversial cut from last year's tournament, but certainly uh, paid his dues, worked hard, came back this year, and uh, seemed to be uh, seemed to play hockey uh, the the right way. Uh, he's got uh, no question a very talented, uh, uh, good hockey player. Yeah, he's got great uh, great hands, and you know what impresses me the most? He he's a smallish type player. He's probably about five eight, but uh, hard to knock off the puck. You saw these junior players playing against him from the other countries, and uh, they were trying to knock him off the puck off the, the, with the body, and uh, they were having difficulty knocking him off the puck. I think he's going to do okay as a pro. 
Anyways, uh, in studio with us this morning, uh, former Leaf, former Washington Capitol. Uh, I guess you spent some time with the Sabres as well, didn't you, Lou? Lou Franceschetti. Good morning. Yeah, I did. I spent probably about uh, a year and a half, uh, well, half a year with them, and then the, the last year of my career spent in Rochester in uh, the American Hockey League. Yeah, and uh, good morning to you. My apologies for uh, not extending my uh, my my wish, my my best wishes to you, uh, and thanks again for being here. Uh, you watched, uh, I'm sure, part of the part of the World Junior Tournament. Any thoughts? Any impressions uh, on the team and on Connor McDavid? Well, I think Connor McDavid was just a small piece of the puzzle. Uh, what I was really impressed with was the uh, the speed uh, of the Canadian hockey team, uh, with them sending down Leclerc and Lazar. Uh, it more or less it enhanced uh, the speed that they had, and they knew that going into this tournament it was going to be a very uh, quick tournament. Uh, and if you didn't have the speed to keep up with the Russians or the Americans, you weren't going to do any uh, very well. And uh, Naz, we've talked about this team. Uh, uh, they're they're calling it one of the greatest Canadian junior hockey teams ever, and we'll leave it off on that. Uh, I think it's pretty tough to to, to two thousand and five. Tough to be uh, tough to be better than the old five team. Of course, that was a that was a, an unusual situation because there was a there was a lockout mm-hmm. that year, and all those players who should have been playing in the NHL were able to play in the World Juniors. In fact, they're saying from that old five Canadian team, we may be looking at seven or eight potential Hall of Famers. Yeah, so, there were uh, some great players. There were certainly, I, I, you know, it would be almost impossible to to match that old five team. But in this 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 year's team. Where does it rank in terms of the teams that uh, you've seen? Oh, the 2005 team was probably the best team. This was pretty close, though. They were pretty uh, pretty dominant during the tournament. They were uh, they were knocking off teams eight nothing, and the other teams like Slovakia and uh, uh, you know they beat them eight nothing. And the other teams in the tournament were playing one goal games against. them. Yeah. So they were a pretty explosive team. I'll leave it off this way. What impressed me about uh, this team that uh, did something that some of the Canadian junior teams haven't done in the last five years is they held on to a lead when they got down to the to the in the clutch. They, they they had every reason to fall apart at the end of the second period. Whatever the coach said to them in between that period uh, motivated them, brought them together, and they played a really smart, really disciplined, and uh, tough third period and could have. Could have won the game by a couple extra goals. They had some chances, but they they mentally turned it around in the middle of the uh, at the end of the second period and came out and played a fantastic third period under incredible pressure. So uh, we certainly congratulate them. It was a it was a fantastic performance and uh, it was good to see Canada with gold again. Anyways, uh, World Juniors uh, left Monday night and Tuesday morning. As you predicted on the show last Sunday, last Sunday, Naz Marchese on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour predicted that Randy Carlyle was going to get fired on Tuesday morning, and it happened. Um, and that was, uh, to some people, was certainly a shock. Um, but wasn't a shock to you, Naz. Um, no, it wasn't. Uh, Shanahan was in Winnipeg on the, on the Saturday night and uh, witnessed the game. And I, I am told that he hasn't been to too many out-of-town games, especially going to Winnipeg where it's minus 50 degrees. And, uh, you know, the junior tournament was happening too. And I thought, well, you know what? I think they're going to wait until the juniors are over and then make the announcement of Randy Carla being fired. And it happened. And uh, positive or negative move, on, in your opinion? Well, something had to be done. He's had the team for three years, and uh, they haven't really improved. I mean, they've, they're playing the same style of hockey now as, or now as they did then, so they had to make a move for sure. 
just don't understand the extension of the contract in the summer. It just didn't doesn't make any sense. You know? Lou, surprised uh, Lou Franceschetti with us this morning. You surprised by the uh, ti- by either the firing or the timing of it. I think a little bit more because of the timing of it. Uh, I know the big World Junior Tournament was in Toronto that weekend, and um, I didn't know that uh, Shanahan was out in Winnipeg. But it was more or less a situation where uh, I think the way they were abused in Edmund, uh, in Winnipeg, as big and strong as and physical as Winnipeg was on them that night, I think Shanahan is more or less, uh, you know, he, he's learned his trait from the Detroit Red Wing trait, and stay calm, stay patient, and everything will, will, will more or less will surface. We'll give it time. And what happened was, I guess he was more or less, he was just fed up. He didn't see the team progressing. He brought in two new assistant coaches, so the systems must have been a little bit different from the last couple of years with having uh, the other two guys there, that uh, Davey Farish and um, I can't even remember the, the other guy that they had there. So uh, to come to a conclusion, I guess they thought that maybe Randy Carlyle was the guy that uh, they had to let go. And with Horacek and... Um, the guy they have the uh, I can't uh, Stevie Spot, Spot uh, yeah. uh, behind the bench right now. They're in capable hands because both have been successful coaches. Well, Peter's coached the National Hockey League. He's been in the National Hockey League for at least I think the last fifteen years, and Steve Spot has been very su- successful at the junior level. So they got two capable goal guys there there right now, and uh, and they're just going to wean out the year and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but certainly uh, an interesting take on that, Lou Franceschetti. Um, I, I was a little bit surprised by the timing, Naz, but uh, we'll certainly talk a little bit, uh, a, little, a lot more about that uh, firing. Uh, we'll uh, we'll be back shortly after the break. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Leafs, but we have Harry Neal, Hall of Famer. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Peterville asked, "How much loyalty is there in the world anymore?" Well, about fourteen inches, we figure. Introducing Peterville's new loyalty program. After your sixth order, you'll receive a large 14-inch pizza of your choice free with your seventh order. You scratch our back, we feed your face. Find out more at pizzaville.ca. That's pizzaville.ca. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. 
This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. And welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from Liberty Village. In studio with us this morning, Lou Franceschetti. And on the line with us this morning, a legendary Hall of Famer, winner of the Foster Hewitt Award, teacher, player, coach, manager, and broadcaster, Harry Neal. Good morning, Harry. Hey, how are you? We're fantastic. How are you? Well, I'm still on the right side of the grass, and at my age, that's quite an achievement. <laughs> that's fantastic. I can tell we haven't, you haven't lost your sense of humor. Anyways, it's a, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, you've certainly had an interesting career in, 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 uh, in an incredible, uh, in every facet of hockey, uh, coach, manager, broadcaster, Hall of Fame, Foster Hewitt Award, and uh, your... Um, yeah, tell us uh, your favorite uh, recollection uh, of, of your career, uh, uh, Harry. Well, uh, certainly uh, playing in my backyard in Sarnia, Ontario, with the rink my dad built when I was six, seven, and eight, nine years old. You have to remember that uh, when I grew up, and then I moved to Toronto with my dad was transferred when I was 10, there was no hockey before Pee Wee. Uh, you know, they didn't have all the leagues they've got now. So outdoor ice was much more a possibility then. And uh, not too far up the street in North Toronto, there was a good-sized rink this man made every year for his kids. And I hate to tell you how many hours I was on that, broadcasting to myself how I was scoring goals to win Stanley Cups. Oh, that's terrific news. Uh, Harry, um your, your time in the uh, coaching and managerial positions, were you ever offered any position with the Maple Leafs at any time? No. Uh, I, was a, I was a player uh, for the Toronto all the way up through the organization. In those years, there wasn't a draft. So if you played for a sponsored team, you were that team's property. And I played for the Shopsies Peewees, which was really the Marlboro Peewees. So when I was uh, 13 years old, I was a property of the Maple Leafs until they told me after junior hockey that uh, they didn't have any plans for me. So uh, I, uh, I certainly never was offered a job with the Leafs, and, uh, and uh, I often they were my favorite team growing up, obviously, growing up most of my days in, in, uh, in Toronto. So it was a disappointment because I played on some uh, Memorial Cup teams there in Toronto with Marlins, and a lot of my teammates made it. But my dad kept telling me, and I was... Uh, he wanted me to go to university because he never did, and he he regretted that. And he used to tell me, you're too small and you can't skate, so stay in school. Well, Harry, don't give up hope. There may be a leaf job available at the end of the year, so uh, may, we may be putting your name forward. Uh, I don't don't bother. That. <laughs> My dad also taught me, never take impossible jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about an impossible job, I'm sure you... Uh, you follow hockey just as as well as you uh, as you ever did, Harry. And there's certainly some interesting news out of Toronto this week. Uh, Carlisle was fired. Uh, any uh, any comments or any impressions on that? Uh, 
Well, you know, it's it's uh, when the team's underachieving in the in the opinion of the management and ownership, uh, the coach often takes the hit, and uh, it's a, it's a it's much cheaper than getting rid of the two top players that aren't producing if you can get rid of them, and uh, so. You know, Randy had a good stay there, and they didn't quite play the way he, probably he wanted them to, in addition to the way the management did. And so making a coaching change, I've, I've always said that the NHL's fav, famous for firing three coaches before Christmas. Well, they were one, due late, one day late this year with uh, Carlisle going on the 26th. But it's, it's not uncommon, and uh, it, it probably never will stop where the coach – takes the hit for a lot of players that aren't playing the way uh, upper management or the coach thought they should. Harry, you had a you had a, 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 a good career as a coach and manager both in the WHA and in the NHL and um, I'm sure you were hired and fired uh, a few times. Um, uh, in hockey's a ruthless business and uh, coaches expect to be fired but uh, when uh, when when you were fired at any point in time, what uh, what's the emotion like to 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 receiving that kind of news? Well, it's uh, you know you you'd have to be uh, pretty dumb not to see it coming, perhaps. But you're hoping that the next game you'd win and you'd get on a little streak and you'd you'd at least achieve up to the capability of your team. But let's be honest, some coaches are coaching teams that aren't good enough, even if they play their best, to satisfy the fans, the media, and, and the ownership. And making the playoffs seems to be the uh, the gauge for coaches. And then if you do make the playoffs, the gauge becomes a little more uh, steep because now they want you to play two or three rounds and eventually win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, it's uh, it's an impossible job if you think when you go in for your first coaching pro co- a hockey coaching job if you think you're never going to get fired you're kidding yourself and sometimes you are possibly part of the blame sometimes you're not harry um coaching in toronto you know the media very well here spending all that time with hockey night in canada um why i i have this feeling that you know pat quinn was the only coach who i felt handled the media comfortably out of all the guys that have coached uh, in toronto why is it so tough in Toronto? Well, you've got the media competing with each other for uh, scoops, and uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that they come up with uh, isn't quite as accurate as you might think and doesn't turn out. But the, all they want is a reaction. I'm going to write this because I know I'll get a reaction. It might be a negative reaction. It might be a positive reaction. But it'll be a reaction, and people will probably buy the paper to see what I'm going to say tomorrow. But Pat Quinn, and, and I know Pat pretty well, and uh, I always said this, I'm never going to read the papers. Now, that, that was a bit of a lie because I wanted to read the papers <laughs> to find out what was going on in the world. But I didn't pay much attention, and I never let the media know that I read their column. And I think that saved me a lot of uh, uh, difficulties. Now, I didn't like some of it. My family didn't like some of it, but that's part of the job. And if you're going to let them uh, have an influence on what you do as a coach, then you're committing suicide in the profession. Harry, you were you were part of one of the the great broadcasting teams in uh, in in broadcasting history. And I'll, I'll, quite frankly, your your 
Your partnership with Bob Cole is uh, probably the best that I can ever remember. Certainly, you and Bob Cole and maybe Danny Galvin and Dick Irwin are one, too, in, in terms of a partnership team in the booth. Uh, what made, uh, what made you, your, uh, your broadcasting with Bob Cole on Hockey Night uh, so special? Well, uh, you know, to to work with a guy who's maybe as good a play-by-play commentator that we've ever had in <clears throat> in the in the National Hockey League, in Bob Cole, and I got along with Bob. Uh, he's a, a different kind of a cat. He's a perfectionist, and if things aren't going perfectly, he, he lets you know. And uh, I always used to say, with the intensity that you bring to the booth, you really should be a player, not a broadcaster, because. Uh, and that's how dedicated he was. And we got along uh, on the ice, or in the booth, and we got along uh, with all the hours we spent together when we were traveling from one place to another. And One of the reasons I was lucky enough to win the Foster Hewitt Award was the number of games I did with Bob Cole. There's no doubt about that. Harry, the uh, most interesting player you've ever coached? Tiger Williams, I would say, is right up there among them. Uh, he was the most, uh, how would I put it now, the most determined player I ever coached was Tiger Williams. Even in, even in practice, if his team didn't win or his line didn't do what they uh, were supposed to do in a drill, he got very upset. And it got him into trouble at times with his teammates and with his coaches and obviously with the opposition. But I don't think anybody came to the rink more determined more often on a regular basis than Tiger Williams did. And he sometimes wasn't an easy guy to coach, but when the game started, you never had one half second worry whether he'd be ready. Uh, Harry, uh, you know you had you spent uh, obviously a great deal of your early career uh, coaching in the WHA, and um, not only were you a you know great coach, manager, broadcaster, you're also one of the great characters of uh, of <laughs> hockey, and uh, there were some certainly some great uh, fun times in the WHA. Uh, 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 during that, during the seventies, uh, any particular uh, story? Uh, any particular WHA story uh, come back to you? Well, I don't like the thought some people have that I made the WHA what it is today. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a lot of people who don't understand what an achievement that was to get that league going, and every player that ever played after the WHA got going should write a thank you note to the organizers because we doubled all their salaries. And it was the first time there was any significant increase in salaries. Now, they were nowhere near what they are today. But I don't know how many players came to Minnesota and or Hartford when I was coaching in that league that we gave them twice as much as they were making. And if they didn't come, it meant the NHL team gave them twice as much to keep them. And uh, that was one of the uh, forgotten achievements of the league. And I will say this, that the two teams I coached, Minnesota and especially Hartford, we were probably as good as the bottom third or maybe even the bottom half of the NHL. But we weren't as good as the top teams. And uh, uh, so my days in the WHA are are some of my favorites because I think that first it gave me a chance to coach pro hockey and handle pro players, and it also gave me a chance to be part of a league that's never even identified by the NHL because they were their obvious enemies as the league continued, and and there were a lot of good players that got their start in pro hockey in the WHA and went on to be uh, great NHL players. And 
so the pioneers of the WHA, boy, they, they deserve a lot of credit for the growth of hockey in, in North America and the, the growth of the number of teams that are, are pl- that, that are playing. You know, for a long time it was a six-team league, and it looked like it was going to be a six-team league in the NHL forever. Well, now we know there's 30 teams, and they're talking about adding a couple. So hockey has been uh, growing quickly, and especially in the United States, and uh, the teams that win the Stanley Cup are proving that. Harry, how was it coaching uh, Dave Keon and Mike Walton? Well, Dave Keon was probably the best player I ever, all-around player I ever coached, and he, he was a friend of mine long before uh, I ended up coaching him. He, Billy Harris, uh, and uh, Mike Alec and myself, we ran the Harris-Keon hockey schools in the off-season, and we spent a lot of time together. And when we got a chance in, in Minnesota to, to add Dave Keon to our lineup, it was a great thrill for me. And I don't think there's been a better two-way player in the history of the game he, when he played in the NHL and when he played for me, he played most of his time against the other team's best line because of his great defensive ability. And yet, when you look at his offensive numbers, you'd think he was a top-notch offensive player, which he was. And uh, he never took a, an easy stride in his career. He worked hard at practice. He, the game was vitally important to him. And uh, he's one of my best friends. And... Uh, it, he was probably the best all-around player I ever coached. Mike Walton was one of the more talented players I ever coached, but he wasn't quite as dedicated to the game, and I'm not knocking him for it, but he, he treated it like it was a lot more fun than it was a lot more of a business. But when he decided to play in the WHA for sure, and he proved it in the NHL too, he was a talented guy and an offensive player that uh, you know didn't have too many equals in the league he played in. Interestingly enough, uh, Harry, we, we had the privilege in the last uh, month and a half to interview both Mike Walton and Dave Keon uh, on this show, and uh, both uh, consummate gentlemen and uh, treat us with the utmost of respect, and we thank them for those interviews. You talked uh, just very quickly about, uh, about having fun, and uh, you certainly uh, were pretty intense when you coached, uh, when you coached got into uh, a couple of scraps with some fans over the years, which we don't have to get into the details of. But uh, when you were when you were coaching and you were managing, where I always got the impression that it was more than just a job for you, that you were having fun. Is that a, is that a correct uh, correct assessment, Harry? Oh, absolutely. Uh, my uh, career in hockey as a as a coach and a and a, I mean I I never looked at it. It was a job. It was what I loved to do. And sometimes as a coach or a broadcaster i'd come to the rink i wasn't feeling well and i thought geez another hockey game but once i got to the rink i started talking to the players and talking to the other people that were involved and the game started uh, that those feelings disappeared right away and even losing streaks or or or, uh, uh, blowing games that you should have won as disappointed as they were when the dust settled i thought you know uh, i'm lucky I'm, i'm going to work tomorrow and we got a chance to win and that's one of the real attractions of pro sport, that it's not the end of the world when you lose. And, and uh, the goal is to win the next time out, whenever it is, and then you're going to do whatever you can between the losses and the wins to make sure that there are more wins than losses. Uh, very quickly, Harry, in, in the last uh, minute that we have with you, we are actually 
Uh, pleased to have in studio with us uh, this morning, uh, Lou Franceschetti, who uh, tells us he's got a Harry Neal story. I don't know if you remember it all, but he he's, he wants to get even with you because he thinks that you sicked Cam Neely on him in a game in 1985. Uh, any recollection of that? No, I didn't. I don't know whether I did or not, but we wouldn't put a, a big guy against him. We would have put one of our smaller players. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, we'll leave it at that. Listen, Harry, uh, Hall of Famer and uh, one, of, uh, one of hockey's most passionate spokesmen, Harry Neal. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and joining us this morning. It's It's been a privilege for us and sharing some of your stories with us. Uh, keep well, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. All right. Well, it's always great when I talk to people like yourself to make me think back to the days I enjoyed so much. And and uh, so if next time you're as stuck as you were today for a guest, give me a call. We will, Harry. Thanks, thanks Harry. so much. And, that, of course, that was uh, that was Harry Neal. Uh, before, we, before we go to break... Um, uh, he took a little shot at the area, Lou. He didn't. He didn't send the big guys out at you. He sent. He sent the little guys out at tell you. Tell that story again to the audience. Tell. Tell the story. Tell the audience actually what happened in that in that Canuck game in 1985. Well, this is. Uh, I had just come up uh, from the minors that year, having a pretty good year playing on line with uh, with Paul Gardner. So, I thought it was my last chance to open up the eyes of the Washington Capital organization, and we happened to be on a road trip out west. Uh, playing Calgary, Edmonton, and then Vancouver. So uh, it was in Vancouver. I can't remember if it was on a Saturday night or whatever night it was. And uh, I'm on the ice, and uh, I'm not sure if it was Patrick Sundstrom or uh, Thomas Gradine at the time uh, coming across the middle, and uh, I put a Scott Stevens leg type of hit on him, knocked him out cold. Uh, next shift on the ice, we're down in a, it was a face-off down in their end, and uh, Mr. Cam Neely at the time was probably an 18- or 19-year-old rookie who was going to try to name, make a name for himself in the National Hockey League, and he was a pretty tough kid coming out of junior. And he comes up to me and says, you know what, that wasn't a very good thing to do. And I says, okay, let's go. So I knew right off the bat that we had to, uh, that we had to go at it, and uh, I survived that one and a couple other ones. Anyway, uh, uh, talking, of course, to Lou Franceschetti, sharing with us his... Uh, Cam Neely and, uh, and Harry Neal's story. We'll be going to break. Uh, when we come back from break, we'd, uh, we're obviously going to be talking to you, Lou, a little bit about uh, your career and your thoughts on the current situation in, uh, in Leafland. And please give us a call. Our numbers for call-ins are 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-740-740. Four seven four zero. I'd love to take your calls and talk about uh, whatever's on your sports mind. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I got my fill. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. You get two Ponzerati with two toppings each, plus two big Pepsis. The deal is a peach. Ponzo combo, Ponzo combo. Just thirteen ninety nine. That's low. For show, let's, whoa. Ponzo Combo, Ponzo Combo. Visit pizzaville.ca or call 736-3636. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steels Paint, 4190 Steels Avenue West in Woodbridge. 
At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour live from Liberty Village. Uh, in studio with us this morning, uh, Leaf, former Leaf, former Washington Capitol, and former Buffalo Sabre, Lou Franceschetti. Uh, welcome back, Lou. Good to have you again. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, it's our pleasure. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, what happened this week in Leafland, but uh, you played with the Leafs in the late 80s uh, for a couple of years, and uh, you're an extremely popular player uh, in, in Toronto, and you're still popular uh, amongst uh, people who follow the Leafs, and every time we're down there and they introduce you, we always hear those Lou calls. Uh, uh, why, why are you so popular, Lou? You ever, you ever, uh, ever uh, thought about that? Was it the way you played? Uh, uh, you, you, you're a heart and soul guy, uh, but uh, you're, still, you're still popular amongst, uh, amongst Leaf fans. I think it's pretty much because I pack a lunch bag every single day and go to work, <laughs> uh, and I think that's what the fans want in this town. Uh, I remember when I first got traded here, uh, everybody was asking, well, how are you going to handle the media and how are you going to handle the so-called playing in your hometown? And I said, listen, if you come to work every single day and you work hard and you leave everything on the ice, uh, sooner or later the fans are going to grasp what you're doing and they're going to be popular. You look at the more popular players in, in Leaf history, Wendell Clark, Dougie Gilmore, Darcy Tucker. Those are all Ty guys. Domi. Ty Domi, Tiger Williams, Lanny McDonald, uh, Daryl Sittler. Those are all guys that, that more or less left everything on the ice. Uh, they played for their team. They didn't play for the name on the back of the sweaters. That's an interesting, uh, interesting uh, observation, Lou. Uh, and, Naz, you and I have talked about this. Uh, we've talked about leadership and uh, what this team lacks. And, we, we, you know, when we've talked about it doesn't seem to be somebody on this team that, that wants to strap the team to their shoulders and, and move it forward. And... Uh, We've talked about a, a potential leadership uh, vacuum on the team, and 
and the criticism that fans have. And I know that you're a big uh, you're a big follower of the blogs, and you read Leafs Nation and. Uh, Post and yeah, the, boys, and the boys were out to town and, this and you're, week. I'm and you're sorry. certainly up to speed in terms of how uh, Leaf fans are thinking out there. And uh, what what have you picked up well, this week? They want to trade Kessel now because he's not a team player. He's not uh, he's not that great a player. Let me tell you let, something. Let me ask when you, I Nass, see put, Phil Kessel, put, put it on the table, Naz. Okay, put it on the table. Should the Leafs trade Phil Kessel? Absolutely not. I'm not saying they they should turn it trade down if it's good for the team. Anybody can be traded. But what offensive player on that team can match Phil Kessel? When I go down, and I've been down probably six or seven times to the games this year, he is the only guy, when he gets the puck, you think something can happen. The other guys on the team, they're not like that at all. Anyways, before You don't finish in the top five in scoring four or five years in a row if you don't have talent. Lou, you're, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're chomping at the bit there. So, uh, now, get, get, how, how would you like somebody to come to work for you? 360, okay, 365 days a year, somebody comes to work for only 200 days a year. And he puts up the same kind of numbers as he would if he worked 365. That's the problem I think the Leaf fans are having right now with, with Phil Kessel. Is that, but I, and it, it's, it's, it's history. He'll show up to 50 games a year, he'll score his 35 to 40 goals. The other 30 games he's not non-existent. And it's nothing, uh, I don't know what it is. But I think that's what the Leaf fans are having a problem with seeing. Nobody wants to trade Kessel because they don't have the they, natural... Exactly. They that, don't have the skill. They, they don't have the, the natural goal-scoring ability yeah. on this hockey team. Anyways, I want to I come back. I want to hold that thought, Lou. I want to come back because I want to debate you on that. I want to debate you on that. But we do have a call from the general in Etobicoke. General, you're with us this morning. What's, uh, what's on your mind? Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, good morning, Lou. How are you doing? Pretty good, thanks. You? Good, good. Um, Lou, I'm a big fan uh, we, uh, we've crossed paths before in the, uh, world of elite ball hockey, and you taught me a lot about, uh, sports and coaching, etc. And I still use that, uh, saying that you do, you got to play for the logo on the front of your sweater, not the name on your back. And I think, uh, talking about this Leafs situation this year, I mean, you guys can tell me what you think, but, uh, there's not, there's not too many guys on this team that stop and start anymore. There's too many, uh, helicopters. At some point, they got to land. You know, Kessel's a great player, but he doesn't have that, that supporting cast that needs to stop and start, get him the puck, and do the things that he maybe is not capable of doing or doesn't want to do. You know, like when you look at these balanced lines, you got guys that dig in the corners, you got guys that pass the puck, you guys got, you got guys that score goals. But everybody wants to be like Kessel. They need to get a couple of other guys or those guys that surround him that will do the things that maybe he just, you know, is not able to do. Anyway, General uh, from Etobicoke, thanks so much for your call. Um, Kessel is an offensive superstar. There's no question. I was at, I was at the game uh, Friday night. And I was able to watch the game from the whole perspective, watch the whole ice. And I, I spent a lot of time because Kessel was in the – Obviously, in the in the in the tabloids or the news this week, uh, spent a lot of time watching him, and uh, and he's a world class talent. It's just every time he's on the ice, he's entertaining. He's probably the only guy in the Leafs that's worth the price of admission when you watch them play. He is in terms of his talent, and um, and he's tremendously offensively gifted. And you know, you've said Lou, and and I think you're right. When you when you play, you got to play as part of a team. 
and you can't take nights off. Now, you've played on a lot of NHL teams with a lot of extremely talented players. Uh, are there special rules for the superstars? Do they, are they allowed to get away with things that lunch bucket guys aren't allowed to get away with? I think in this era and this hockey, yes, because their salaries run the show. And what, with, uh, what Castle's making, what Dion Phaneuf and certain players, the elite players, if you don't come to work every single day, it's going to come down to the dollars and cents that you're making. Uh, and, and I've got a great view of this. And I tell everybody that asks me, because I've been asked, I don't know how many times over the last couple of weeks, if your best players are not your hardest workers, you're not going to survive in the National Hockey League as a hockey team. You look at the elite teams in the league right now, and you look at their top two or three players, I'll bet you, if you talk to the rest of the team, that they're their hardest workers. You look at the Chicago's, you look at the Detroit's, you look at the Boston's, you look at the Montreal's, you look at all these Anaheim, I'll bet you Getzlaff, Perry, Taze, Kane, uh, Datsuk, Zetterberg, they're all their hardest working players. So if I'm a kid coming in, or I'm like anybody coming in in this organization and taking a look at Phil Kessel and Van Riemsdyk and Dion Phaneuf, all those guys, and Akadri, the and they're going through the motions at practice and the games, why do I have to carry their load when they're making $7 million, I'm making half a million, and, and trying to get the same kind of results? If they go through what they're going through, it brings me up. Before you bring your thought in there, Naz, I just want to remind listeners that our phone number for call-ins, give us a call. You want to talk to, uh, talk to us about uh, the Leafs or sports or question for Lou Franceschetti, who's with us in studio, give us a call at 416-360-0740-1866-740-4740. Do you not put Patrick Kane in the same uh, situation as Kessel, as players? No, I don't, because he's got Jonathan Taste to handle too, and, and Jonathan yes, is, yes. is a very yeah. quiet leader. But he and he's also got uh, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook, and they've they've won two Stanley Cups. Yeah, that's a different that, that's a different ball game because the Leafs don't have the two top notch defensemen that Chicago has, L.A. has. Those teams that have won cups, they're back end. They're two two top guys play over thirty minutes each. Well, well hold it. Phaneuf's getting seven million dollars. He's supposed to be the guy. Like I said, they don't have the top two guys. <laughs> and, and also, there, there, there's one other missing ingredient that the Leafs don't have. They don't have the the Tiger Williams or the Mark Messier uh, that will grab a Kessel or anybody or Nazem Kadri, grab him by the throat. We're here to win a Stanley Cup and hang him. They don't have anybody. And if they think that Kessel and Funoff are the guns that are supposed to do it, they're way off the wall. Your 89-90 team. Uh, was a high-scoring team, similar to the Leafs now. Do you see any comparisons between those two teams? Uh, it was funny because we just went out there uh, that year. We had the Rob Ramage, who led by example. We had Brad Marsh, uh, another KG veteran. Um, you know, we had our one uh, one scoring line, or two scoring lines, because we had Tommy Fergus, Daniel Marois, and Vincent Danfus, uh, Eddie Olchuk, Gary Lehman, and, uh, and Mark Osborne as the two lines. And then we had our line with uh, Johnny uh, McIntyre, Davey Hannon, Davey Reed, and we had a John Cordick, Danny Daou, that line. So we had a good mixture. I don't think we ever got to a situation where there wasn't any hard workers. We just went out, and I guess with Dougie Carpenter coaching the team, he didn't really care whether we won the game as long as we won it. You know, we were scoring seven or eight goals a game, and we were still losing, but we were, we were getting there at that time. It's just unfortunate that uh, uh, we had Alan Bester in that. 
The, the two, uh, the center position on Toronto, everybody talks about Kadri when they talk about Bozak not being the, they're, they're good players, but they don't belong in the number one slot. Is that the biggest problem the Leafs have is that they don't have a, Bob McKenzie said this, and I agree with him on, uh, on the broadcast of the junior tournament, that uh, Toronto Maple Leafs have, don't have a big center. And that's what they're lacking, a, uh, a McDavid-type player. They've never had that type of player. Uh, well, they had it with Dougie Gilmore yeah. and Matt Sundin. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he's pretty much uh, right on the mark right there because I think both players could fill a good second role to take a little bit of a load off, off the number one guy. They don't have a, Joy, uh, a Thornton. They don't have a uh, Jonathan Taze. They don't have a Ryan Getzlaff. They don't have a Ryan uh, Anze Kopitar. You look at the top teams; they all have those kind of guys. Uh, they're not they easy. Have, they're not yeah. easy to find. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not easy. You, you have to draft them. You got to yeah. draft them. You, you've got to draft them. And they think they might have this kid Goche, but from what I've seen from the ju- World Juniors, he's going to be a good third to fourth liner because yeah, he's, only, agree. he's a That's specialty big. guy on draws and, and if we're lucky, penalties. if we're yeah. lucky, he'll be a good third to so, fourth liner. And, and it's really, you know, Anaheim drafted Getzlaff in, in the twenty hole or in the tw- yeah. high twenties. Uh, Detroit got lucky with Jonathan Taze at number three. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh got Crosby and uh, and, and Malkin. I, I just want to finish off on that fo- on that thought there because there's a there's an interesting report that I read this week on on Bleacher Report, and I've been saying it on this show for the longest time. And I know we've got a caller, Lou. Lou, bear with us. I'll be right with you after I make this comment. Um, there was a report, and I don't know if any of our listeners uh, follow this uh, w- uh, website, Bleacher Report. Uh, if you're a sports junkie, please, uh, you know, uh, go to it. it. They've got some great, great articles. And they made the point they rated the, the, NA, the worst NHL drafting team since the year 2000. The worst. And, of course, who's number one? The worst team drafting in the last 14 years is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Because they traded Nobody them all the way for goalies. Nobody even close. Nobody even close. Their two top draft choices in the last 14 years are Tuka Rask and Tomas Steen, who are n- neither one still plays with the Leafs. And the jur- Steen's a pretty good player, though. Yeah, but he's not playing with the Leafs right That's now. That's true. Okay? And uh, they never made anything of him. And, um, and uh, the jury's out on Morgan Riley. You know, we'll, we'll see what he develops into. Kadri, you know, we don't know. You know, he's got potential. But other than that... The Leafs have not drafted an impact player in 14 years, and so how, how are you, how are you going to move to the top top echelon of, of of the NHL when other teams are drafting Claude Giroux and and as the 17th draft choice, and the Leafs are drafting nobody for 14 years? How are we going to how are the Leafs going to move up to the upper echelons? Anyways, we've got Lou on the call from Toronto. Lou, your thoughts. Hi, Wally Nance. How you doing? Good morning. Good Thanks for calling in. We're doing great. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just calling in about the, the Harry Neal interview was good, and I just wanted to comment about the Leafs situation. And you, you made an interesting comment. Would you trade? Would you trade a Phil Kessel? And and my idea of a Phil Kessel role is if he's your supporting scorer, if he's a he's a luxury to have as a second unit because he doesn't need anybody else. I mean, he could be instant offense for a team who's got a good structure, a good system, where you have three lines you can roll, four lines you can roll, and it makes it hard to play against a team like that because as long as he scores a goal or two, and, and when they were going 9-1-1, one, one, you know, it was the guys like Santorelli and Komarov and, and the Winnicks 
who were playing great hockey, who were playing team hockey. They were committed to playing hockey. But with team hockey, team defense, it's hard work. And I think uh, Roman Polak made that comment this week in the newspaper. It's, it's Defensive hockey is hard to play because it's a team hockey. And I don't think they have the commitment. They don't have the players with the aptitude to commit to working hard every night. And, and that's their biggest issue. It's, it's the hard work part of it. Because from the talent standpoint, you know, they can get by with what they have to make the playoffs. It's just they don't have the commitment to playing a team game. Lou, thanks, uh, thanks so much for your call and your comments. Uh, uh, Lou, any uh, commitment to playing team defense? Uh, Grandy Carlisle was brought in to be a coach to teach team defense. Well, he was, and he had the he had the uh, he had the right formula down in Anaheim when he won the Stanley Cup. Not the right player. He didn't have the. Yeah, players but he had Niedermeyer and Pronger as <laughs> well, defense. That, I mean, that, we could come back that, to that, the that's team, right? When you when you have one of those guys on at least uh, what sixty seventy percent of the game, exactly. You're 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 halfway there. But uh, Lou, the caller, he's he's pretty much right. And defensive hockey, all it is is hard work, just like penalty killing. You got to outwork the other team. And right now, I don't think the Leafs have the hard workers that tend to, to bring them over the top. They're going to compete at the probably 6 through 14 level. But if you want to be an elite team in this National Hockey League, you've really got to compete on a regular basis. And right now, I don't think the Leafs are as hard a working team uh, as they could be. And Roman Polak did say when he came over from St. Louis, because under the uh, Ken Hitchcock regime there, you better work hard or you don't play. You don't play. Uh, and, and that's what it is. You know, you've got your cadre, you got all those guys you can – Go right down, uh, right down the line. I think even Santorelli and uh, uh, said it that you have to work hard. You have to outwork the other hockey team because superstars tend to give up a little bit when you're outworked. Uh, I've been in, in in that shoe where you go. There's a game plan, guys. Work on these guys because sooner or later they're going to say, "I don't want to go through this anymore. It's not worth it." And, and they're going to pack it up. And the hardworking teams are are usually going to look at the LA Kings last year. Probably one of the yeah, hardest working teams. In the hard, they were hard working, but they have some high end talent. And we, well, well, they, they do, but their hard work got them through when they were down three zip and in, in, in the first two series. You, you just the talent's Absolutely. gonna talent's gonna ta- come to ta- the surface. Ta- talent and and how they. We've had Mike Food on the show twice talking about his the L.A. Kings draft philosophy and their philosophy is. And we asked them that pointed question. First of all, they've drafted fourteen players out of the OHL. Which, uh, when Don I Cherry will make this up. <laughs> well, we, we, we made that point with Mike Fuda, and it, we, we sort of caught him off guard. I don't know if he even realized it when we made it. He did eventually. Until, he did eventually. eventually. Yeah. But his, the philosophy of the LA Kings is they like to draft, aside, you know, if you're drafting a superstar, that's a different thing. But in the late first round, second and third round, they like, to, they like players who can play against the wall. And that's the words that Mike Fuda used. And you can see it with these Tanner Pearsons and these Tyler Toffoli's. These are guys who, you know, they get the puck and they're up against the board. You can't get the puck off them, right? And they, they play a certain way. And, and I wanted to go, go back uh, uh, to, Lou, the, the whole concept of Carlisle and, you know, this team not having the, the stars are not the ones that are the hardest workers. And you fire a coach in midseason. Ever been through that in your career? And what effect did that have on the team? I, it happened my second year here in Toronto. Uh, it, you know, I thought we had a pretty good year in Toronto the year before going to the playoffs. And even though we lost St. Louis in five games, uh, what was more or less a telling tale that year is that uh, they brought in uh, Mr. Tom Watt 
as an assistant coach. They fired Gary LeRevere at, at, uh, in the summer, and they brought in Tom Watt. So as a player, thinking that, well, why are you bringing in uh, Tom Watt, who's a, a reputable head coach, yep. to uh, to look after business when, when you got really Dougie Carpenter? And what you need is you need three guys that are that work together. And we, we pretty well knew that the writing was going to be on the wall at that time, that if we ever got off to a bad start or if there was a stretch during the season that we weren't going to go well, if they did pull the plug on Carpy, that they had Tom Watt to fill in, knowing that he was going to be right there, knowing that he's a head coach and knowing that he knows the system and the players at the same time. And that's exactly what happened. We got off to a bad start. In the first 15 games, I think we won two. And then it came to the uh, the Niedermeyer trade with uh, for, for Tom Curvers. So whoever we were, we were trying to forget. I that. want to discuss. <laughs> I want to discuss this Festchuk article and the media and interviewing. And do were you? Uh, what What do you feel about that, Lou? Because you you've been on the other side as a player. What do you think of the Festchuk interview with uh, Phil Castle? Well, I think Festchuk was more or less uh, trying to get to a point, and uh, more or less. And I guess think uh, Phil Castle was trying to read between the lines of what he was trying to get at. Uh, I played, again, the media wasn't as exposed as it was back 25 years ago as it is right now, where you're, you're, you're constant on a, on a daily, uh, uh, you're in scrutiny in, in front of the cameras. So I know where he was coming from, and I know where Phil's coming from. Phil is probably speaking out of frustration because he's not used to and he doesn't want to speak to the media a lot. And Dave Fester wanted to see if he can catch Phil off guard and more or less say something that he shouldn't have said. Yeah, well, he baited him, and uh, and unfortunately, he's been baiting I, I, him I, for I, a I, 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 I think that uh, Phil Phil fell for the bait. But you know, I didn't have a problem with Phil calling uh, Festchuk an idiot. Not necessarily because I agree with the pejorative terms. I just I, I, I like when an athlete tells me what's on his mind more than anything else. Because athletes usually will tell you, they're not going to tell you what they're on their mind. They're trained to talk in cliches. So finally we got an athlete who actually said what he felt. From that perspective, I didn't have a problem with it. Kessel was being honest. Uh, now, I'm sure Leaf management wasn't, or, you know, coach or Leaf management wasn't too thrilled that he used that particular term to respond to a reporter. Um, when you were playing, would, would anybody have come up and said, if you had have said that to a media member, called somebody an idiot, would somebody have come and talked to you, Lou? I, I don't think anybody would have come and talked to me at, at that time, only because uh, there probably wasn't that much. I know playing in Washington for uh, six or seven years, like we were hardly, you know, the Redskins, it was all about the Redskins. Uh, there wasn't anything going on other than the Redskins back then. And we kind of walked out uh, and we did our own thing. Playing in this city is a little bit different. Uh, uh, I like the way that Phil spoke his mind, but I also like the way that Festchuk, let's get to the point here, guys. Let's, let's find out what's really on your mind and let's see what you could. I don't mind uh, the reporters asking personal questions or uh, questions right to the note. What I didn't like about the question, it's, it's, it's a technique that reporters use. It's, it's, they're not asking the question. They're saying other people are saying, saying this. Ron Wilson. It yeah. came from Ron Wilson. Okay. okay. The reporter says instead of him coming out and directly, it, it's him saying you're uncoachable or you're this, I, but how do you respond to that? Other people are saying this. I, I've, I've always had a I've always had a difficulty with that with that technique, especially when you confront an athlete before he's had the opportunity to hear that. Mm-hmm. Like he heard that on an interview with Ron Wilson, and ten minutes later, Kessel's got to respond to it, not having not having had an opportunity to actually have heard it and and and, and think about it. I, 
That's the technique I've got a little bit of a problem with. Well, I don't, I don't know the techniques yeah. that reporters go through, but it, it was kind of nice that Phil did put, put uh, Dave Festrick on the spot and, and tell him exactly how we felt. And plus, those two have a history. They went back. Didn't they have yeah. uh, some... Breaking had, out, off the, the, coming he off did, the boards. Didn't know, he doesn't listen to the breakout the system. system. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, unfortunately, Lou, uh, we've had in studio, and it's been a, a pleasure. We've had fun, and uh, we really appreciate your insights on a lot of these things that we've talked about, Lou. It's been quite interesting for us, and I'm sure for our listeners, but our time has run short. We hope you come back and join us. Um, you certainly have some things that are valuable, and from the perspective of uh, of a former Leaf player and a, and a current Leaf alumni. Anyways, you've been listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We thank you for listening. We'll be back here again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Have a great week. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.